October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. As a resilience professional, you need to understand what's going on behind the scenes of a ransomware attack. And we've got the right guest for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 58 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by Supervisory Special Agent Ken Schmutz of the FBI Cyber Task Force. Listen as Agent Schmutz walks us through the various stages of a ransomware attack. He shares his views about the importance of having a response plan. He gives insight in what you can expect when you engage law enforcement, and he provides us with the FBI's official recommendation about whether or not you should pay a ransom. We'll get into my conversation with SSA Ken Schmutz in just a moment. Hello, I'm Lisa Jones, co-founder of the Resilience Think Tank. In 2021, six professionals with a passion for resiliency came together to find ways to use our industry experience to provide a place where business continuity professionals could share their insight, seek help with their programs, and promote overall growth in our profession. On that day, the Resilience Think Tank was born. It's our one-year anniversary, and we are delighted by your support and encouraging feedback. We hope you will join our journey by becoming a part of the community. Follow Resilience Think Tank on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube as we celebrate this milestone. Also check out ResilienceThinkTank.com to discover great insights shared by our Resilience Think Tank community. Thank you for your support. And stay tuned as we continue to be an ally for risk and resilient professionals and champions for the teams of one. Ken, welcome to the podcast. I'm honored to have you here. Let's start by having you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your current role. Great. Thanks for having me. My name is Ken Schmutz, S-C-H-M-U-T-Z. I've been with the Bureau for uh, coming up on 18 years. And my current role is I'm the supervisory special agent for the cyber squad in the Omaha division of the FBI. Uh, I run the cyber task force, which consists of uh, agents, analysts, um, computer scientists, and our forensic folks. And we investigate computer intrusions and that's, that's what we do. And uh, it's, it's been great. I've been here in Omaha for 10 years now and uh, we have a very successful and uh, energetic squad. Now, Ken, I met you. Uh, we were both uh, at the same organization. They were running uh, a cyber exercise that was put on, I guess, by FBI and by uh, Homeland Security. And uh, that's where I was first introduced to you. And you did an introductory session on ransomware. And I thought, wow, this is a, a great topic for the podcast. And uh, it's part of Cybersecurity Awareness Month here in October. So let's go back and look at some of those things that you talked about in that presentation. One of the things you talked about was the stages of a ransomware attack. Can you walk us through that? Absolutely. So a lot of people have the misconception that the ransomware, when it hits, that's when the intrusion happened. When in fact, uh, if you look at stage one, of a ransomware event is when they have compromised your computer. It's prior to the ransomware being planted. So there's some type of compromise in your system, usually through email phishing. They got somebody in your company to click on a link or a file that infected the system. They may be in there for you know days, weeks, months, 
prior to the ransomware event. So that's kind of the stage one is that actual compromise of the computer system. Um, stage two, they move to where, yeah, they execute the ransomware. You're going to see some type of splash screen that lets you know that your system has been compromised um, and that all your files have been encrypted. They kind of go through a explanation of, of what a private key is and that you need to get this private key before your data will be released. That primary infection will start with one computer, but with the recent variants of ransomware, it can absolutely spread through your whole environment. Um, so we would recommend, you know, if you if you do see one computer compromise, I mean, unplug it as fast as you can from your system. Um, but yeah, that's that's stage two is that notification that your files are encrypted, and uh, the only way that you're going to get them back according to them, is to pay a ransom. Um, where we move into stage three, where they actually commit the extortion part of um, ransomware. So again, they usually put up another splash screen that indicates how you can pay them. Usually through digital currency now, uh, Bitcoin being the most popular, uh, because it makes it more difficult for law enforcement to track it. Um, where it's not, you know, a regulated, regulated banking system. And so they can ask for anywhere, you know, we've seen home users for, you know, three to $500 to get their files back or, you know, large cities such as city of Atlanta, where it's multi-million dollar ransomware. And it's uh, incident response companies now have a, a person in place. They can call it a breach coach. They have different titles for it, but they actually can negotiate what that ransom is uh, with, the, with the adversary and get them to come to an agreement and lower the amount that they're asking. But those are the general stages, you know, that initial compromise to your system. And then they move to where they execute the ransomware and encrypt your environment. And then the third stage where they're going to ask for the money so that you can get the decryption key to release your files and free them up. I have a couple of follow-ups to that, if that's okay. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what's interesting to me is that the, the time delay from stage one, where they actually do the compromise until stage two, where they get you the, with that pop-up screen, uh, you said it could be weeks or even months. What's going on behind the scenes? Why is there such a delay? They're, yeah, that's a, they're that's up to a something, great. right? That's a great question. So the two things, one is they may be moving throughout the environment to be able to identify that server or computer they want to hit first. I would say that's one. And then another delay is it's become a service now where they get that initial compromise and they can sell that compromise off to another actor who's going to do the ransomware part. So uh -huh. you're involving maybe multiple different actors where they get to, you know, they may compromise five different companies and then sell that off to another actor who is then going to execute the ransomware. They're almost subletting their space at that point. Absolutely. Yep. You, that's exactly you know, what's what interesting. You, you talked about uh, the breach coach coming in and negotiating. It really 
establishes this as a regular business model, isn't it? I mean, this is not just some kids necessarily sitting in their parents' basement. You know, this is a full-on business. It, it is. It's organized crime at its best. It's it's very. Uh, they, they do have a business model. They follow it, um, and and they want. You know, they want the user to be. They want the reputation of this model that if they pay that ransom, that they are going to get their files decrypted and go about their way. That's part of their business model. And you're absolutely right. They've set it up in kind of this almost like, like a legitimate business. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. I learned something today. I didn't know about that subletting uh, aspect of that. So thanks for sharing that. Yep. So organized crime requires an organized response. So let's talk a little bit about recovery. So you said uh, a minute ago that uh, according to the bad actor, the only way to, re- you know, to, to get the systems back would be to pay the, the ransom. But internal recovery of locked systems is really key. And it's a, it's a driving factor whether or not the organization might even pay a ransom. Right. What are some recommendations that you have to make sure that organizations even have a fighting chance when it comes to recovering their systems? Yeah, the companies that we've worked with that have had the highest success rate of recovery and and closing that window of how long it takes to get back up and going are those companies who have a cyber response plan in place and have exercised it so that when they're hit with this, they've walked through in their company, who do we need to contact? Do we have insurance? We need to get legal we need to get, I would advocate, law enforcement. Um, and what's our data backup and recovery plan? If, if we've lost all our data, it's all encrypted, can we, do we have uh, a plan in place to put that data back uh, the quickest way possible? Um, and, and again, it's, it's been exercised. They stepped through it um, and were able to recover based on being ready for it, if that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And I like what you said there about exercising. And if you sort of parse out a little bit of what you were talking about, you were talking about both technical uh, recovery plans, the data and system recovery aspect of things, but then Mm -hmm. also non-technical things like getting legal involved in insurance and communications. Yeah, absolutely. And your cyber incident response company, if you have one on retainer, um, just stepping through that, who do we contact when? Who are we going to need within the company? You know, depending on a small or to large business, it's going to vary, you know, a lot on if they have a ransomware attack, who needs to be contacted at what point and what's our quickest way to recovery. If it's the first time you're asking these questions when you get hit, it's going to be a long, long day. Yeah, it's too late. It's too late at that point. Yep. Now, when I work with clients on their ransomware response, I always encourage them to, to think ahead, right? We were just kind of talking about that. Uh, think ahead about decisions that they're probably going to have to make. And the one that everybody wants to talk to first, uh, it's the elephant in the room, is whether or not we're going to pay a ransom. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because I talk to people and they say, well, I, you know, I say, well, are you interested would this be something that you would consider? And the emotional response is always, no, no, we're never going to pay a ransom. Right. Uh, 
but I always try to get people to think from not from an emotional perspective, but from a business perspective. And so before we get too far into that, what's the FBI's recommendation on paying ransom? Yeah, I listen from headquarters, from the FBI, the official uh, response is that, that no, we would rather you did not, we would not advocate paying the ransom. Now, having said that, it's absolutely a business decision. Um, it comes down to what a business decides, you know, if they lost their data, maybe their data backups are, are gone and they can't get those either. Because a lot of times we do see if they're connected, they'll move to the data backups and encrypt them too. Mm -hmm. um, so they have to be prepared that it's possible they may have to pay a ransom. Again, I don't advocate for that, but it's the reality of the situation. Uh, we see about half and half, to be honest with you. Um, oh, wow. those that pay it and those that don't, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a business decision end of the day for recovery of your business, getting your data back, getting up and functioning. What, you know, what do you have to do? It's that business decision. It's that, look, we recommend that you don't pay. However, we recognize that you might have to, that, that really makes it interesting, and one of the things that I always work with my clients on is those thought, give thoughtful consideration to those extenuating circumstances. And if you want to start with the default position of no, we're not going to pay a ransom, then yeah. that's great. I have no problem with that. Sure. But I do want them to, to think about uh, some things that might change their mind. And you mentioned the big one is, well, what if we can't recover that data? So talk about that. And how your decision, whether it's to pay ransom or do some other things, might change over time as you work your way through the crisis. Yeah, what we found is, honestly, uh, paying the ransom and decrypting your files and getting back up and going or restoring from backups in a complex environment, the recovery time is very similar. Um, which is interesting. Another yeah. thing I wanted to throw out there is, is a lot of companies, uh, especially small, smaller companies, don't know a whole lot about digital currency. Again, in that cyber operations plan, I would put in there, you know, to be prepared to pay a ransom using digital currency. Are you prepared to do that? And what does it look like for your company? And how does that happen? Um, again, another preparation thing of just in case. But yeah, it may become that you, you get hit with ransomware, you know, you're negotiating, you think your backups are good. So you're not planning on paying that ransom. You go to restore and, and something bad really happens and you realize you're not going to be able to get your data back and you can no longer function as a business unless you have your data. Uh, that may change your mind of, okay, we need to consider to pay a ransom here. You know, are we prepared to do that? Do we have a negotiator that can negotiate that down for us? Uh, again, your instant response company would be a key part of your conversations. And in the end of the day, it's, it's a bottom line you know, dollars and cents for you. Um, 
you want to get back up in the quickest way you can uh, with the least amount of money paid out and damage, depending on how long you're, you've been down. And it might be a situation where you can get systems back, but you might lose more data than you want to because you have to go back to the last clean backup, that type of thing. Exactly. And, and yeah, and you know what's interesting is very rarely is it ever uh, uh, an on or off situation, a zero or a one. It's always somewhere in between, and and that's where your your good decision making, thoughtful consideration ahead of time comes yep. into play. Yep. When it comes to paying ransom, one of the things that people have to be aware of, though, is whether the bad actor is on the sanction list, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, OFAC sanctions are, are somewhat of a new thing out there. Um, again, there's a list of companies that are affiliated with terrorism that if you knowingly, that's a key word, knowingly pay uh an adversary who's on this list, um, you could be charged with, you know, sanctions uh, from the Department of Treasury. I'm not aware of this happening to date, to be honest with you. So, okay. uh, you know, I don't know how successful that's that's been. It is a consideration, but again, that breach coach, that instant response company, is going to be absolutely aware of who's on the OFAC sanction list and will advise you of that prior to making any payment. Um, so that's a resource for you. They do publish the, the list. You can go out there online and, and look at the list. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things, this brings up a whole new ball game, but I'll bring it up. Um, yeah. You know, today, for example, when the, um, oil was shut down on the East coast because of a ransomware event against a, a company stopped oil flow. Uh, it, it was thought, well, is this terrorism, you know, because right. it impacted our society, which is what their goal is. And it came up that it wasn't, it was, it, it was these criminal actors just trying to get monetary payment for uh, this type of event. But in the future, could it be, could an adversary use ransomware to attack our country, whether energy sector, transportation sector? Uh, absolutely, it could be devastating. So it's something that we're aware of. We're keeping a watch on. Um, but at this point in time, it's, it's from what we've seen here in Omaha, you know, it's 100% criminal actors just trying to make money. Yeah, that's really an interesting distinction, too, because you know, going back to something that we said near the top of the interview, this is a business model. And so for our incident response teams, our breach coaches to understand whether uh, the bad actor is or is not on a sanctioned list, that implies the fact that they know who they are. Yeah. And so the question that my wife always asks me, and I appreciate you allowing me to go off script here just a little bit is, if we know who they are, why can't we stop them? Yeah, that's a tough one. So a lot of these foreign actors are, are in Eastern Europe, primarily. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we don't have any agreements to, uh, you know, they're not, if we identify them with their government, all they're going to do is hire them as, you know, to work on behalf of their country. So we don't have any extradition treaties with the majority of these actors uh, that are doing this. Now, 
that being said, uh, there was a recent variant, so Dino Kibbe, that uh, our Dallas office took down. Uh, they took down the infrastructure, and then also they made several arrests. And those key people of the were not in Eastern Europe. Some of them were traveling. There were some in the UK. Uh, so we definitely can get them, and we're working to do that. Um, so so. We can get some of them, but a lot of these actors in countries such as Russia, Ukraine, uh, they're not coming out. So it's tough to get them, but we can still have a, uh, an impact on them. Uh, one of the, the things you brought up is OFAC sanctions. When we put them on the list, they do it causes them to not be able to use the international banking system. Mm. Um, and so they can't move their money. So it inflicts pain on them. And that's, that's our whole goal as a, as a cyber squad is consequences and pain against the adversary to cause them an initial. Yeah. And in result, we'd love to put them in jail. Very good answer. I like that. So let's, let's move on to another decision that I encourage people to, to give some thought to ahead of time. And that's whether or not they're going to engage law enforcement. So mm -hmm. I have a feeling I know what your position is going to be on this, but talk about the benefits of engaging law enforcement and what an organization should expect when you're brought in. So what your role is when, when you get called in. Yeah, great question. So I think there's, a, again, another area, there's a lot of misconception here. Yeah. We're not regulatory and we're not going to further victimize the victim. Listen, somebody's in your system and they shouldn't be there. I always get asked, well, what was the company doing? You know, kind of like it's their fault that the adversary got in. It's like, no. It's no different than your house at home. If somebody enters your residence, I don't care if, what kind of locks and alarms and lights you have, it's against the law for them to be there. And it's against the law for the adversary to be in your computer system. And so what we wanna do is learn, gather the evidence of the intrusion. What log files do you have? What malware was used and, and if we can get a copy of the malware to tear it apart to learn more about this adversary um you know where if they're asking for money which they would in a ransomware where do they want it to be paid to even with digital currency we can do a lot of things to learn about the adversary in, in you know with the oil company uh we got their money back because they contacted law enforcement um so even though they made a payment to get that key, you know, we got it back. I would say one of the biggest thing that people don't realize is we have a lot of information about the different variants of ransomware that are out there. So mm -hmm. if you're hit with ransomware, it, it's possible, and it's not true for all variants, but there are variants that we have the decryptor key for. Um, and we can share that with a victim. Here's the decryptor. We have through our techniques, this decryptor for you to use. We don't want to make that public because of course the adversary is not going to like that at all and they'll change up their game. Um, we can share information about, listen, this adversary, we know this is what they're going to do next because we've studied them. We've worked with other companies. So look for this to protect your system next. And a lot of, you know, will they come back? That's a big question by companies. Um, if I pay this ransom, are they going to come back? And we can, again, share our intelligence and knowledge regarding 
the threat to the company. If they contact us, again, we're not going to come in and, and prevent them from trying to get back up and going. We just want to gather the evidence they have. Again, any logs, any malware. Can we image a, a computer that's been infected? Um, we just want to gather evidence about that ad- adversary and, and in the end, put them behind bars. Yeah, let's let's talk about that evidence, the evidence of compromise. And it was because of the presentation that you gave at this client uh, that I actually went, went back and changed their crisis management plan to say that the technology lead should work to gather certain information to share it with law enforcement. Do you want to talk about uh, some of the things that they should be collecting as evidence of compromise to help you do your job a little bit easier? Yeah, that initial email of compromise, because somebody in the company clicked on an email they shouldn't have at some point. And that has absolute you know, benefits to us, IP addresses, email addresses, banking accounts, um, that malware, a copy of the original malware, because they were compromised before the ransomware was placed, like I stated before. So that original malware, what was it? How did they get in? Um, give us a copy of that malware. Give us a copy of the ransomware. Let us image a, a, a computer that's been hit with the ransomware um, so we can do analysis of you know how they got in. We're not after your, your, your company data. We're going to leave that to the side, and we're not looking at that stuff. We want to know the technique they use to get in your system and the ransomware that's being used. And if we can help you, if we have a decryptor, so you don't have to pay them, you know, can we share that with you? Um, any communications, because these actors absolutely are ongoing communication in some manner for the ransom. And so are they using email? Are they using text? Are they, you know, what platform are they using? And we want to see those communications and be able to exploit them if we can. Now, you mentioned this a minute ago, and I had asked you this when we met the first time, uh, because I've had clients say to me, well, if we pay a ransom, that's going to make us more likely to be a target a second time. And explain what you said to me when I asked you that, because that is that generally the case? Yeah, that that's different than a lot of people think. Now, I won't say that it doesn't happen. It's a very small percentage. The adversary may stay in that computer system for a period of time uh, and try to hit them again. But that's very small. The, this business model is we hit you with ransomware. We ask for money. You pay the money. We give you the decryptor. We go away. That's the business model. They want to hold to that so that the victim will pay the ransom. Because if they think they're going to come back, they just won't pay it. And for the most part, the keys that are provided when the ransom is paid, those work? Yes, absolutely. Uh, especially in the, the bigger, you know, there's different variants that are out there, but the most popular ones, yeah, that's their model. You pay the ransom, they give you a decryptor, you decrypt your data and you're on your way. Now, I think a lot of companies think it happens faster than it does especially in a, in a complex environment, this can take a lot of time. Uh, it's not as fast as you would think it would be, but yeah, they give, they give it a decryptor and they go on their way. There are a few other low level criminals that have tried to join into this because of the success that they're having, mm-hmm. that their code isn't written as well. 
and there are some bugs and there's issues with decrypting. But again, those are just very small percentages, rumors actually that I've you know heard throughout the bureau. Um, but for the most part, they stick to this business plan. It's very, uh, it's very effective and it's very successful. Well, this has been really interesting, and I could talk to you for you know another couple of hours, but we don't have that kind of time. So let me get you out of here on this. Okay. What are some good resources that people can check out to learn more about ransomware and, and just cybercrime in general? Yeah, specific to ransomware, uh, DHS CISA, they now call themselves, uh, has set up a great website called stopransomware.gov. Uh, it's a great resource of the current state of ransomware out there and what companies can do to better protect themselves. I think it has examples of cyber response plans, uh, some really good information at stopransomware.gov. There are private industry companies out there, and, and I'm not saying one's better than the other one, but I'm aware of Mandiant has some really good information out there. CrowdStrike has some really good information out there that you can absolutely use. Um, a lot of companies don't, where do I start? I don't have a cyber response plan. You know, the NIST uh, standards for cyber is getting so much better, at least giving the basics of what a company should do to start. So I would, NIST, I would search that. They've got some uh, great resources for companies that are, you know, just starting because companies are in different uh, evolutions of their cyber response plans. Some haven't done it at all and want to start. Others just want to get better. Um, and that NIST standard can absolutely help in, in both. Ken, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for taking some time to join us on the podcast. Uh, it's really insightful stuff. Thank you. You bet. You're welcome. I want to thank SSA Ken Schmutz for joining me this week on the podcast. And thanks, as always, to the Resilience Think Tank for sponsoring the Resilient Journey. Stay in touch with the Think Tank at resiliencethinktank.com. And don't forget to share our work with younger professionals as we work to strengthen the future of the industry. Next week, we continue our focus on cybersecurity. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.